Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the upcoming UK election, why politics may not matter as much as we think, and the possible benefits of a rising global population, with Toby Cross, Head of Client Investment Solutions, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. I'm Toby Cross and I'm joined as ever by our Chief Investment Officer, William Hobbs. Now, Will, last week we had a conversation and uh, you managed to squeeze in an analogy about uh, 24 season two, if memory serves me correctly. So let me see what I can pull out of the bag this week. I was looking at the news flow this week and it got me thinking that it's a little bit like chili sauce or Tabasco, that back in the day, I remember when I was growing up, a a bottle of Tabasco in our house could last three or four years. But as I've gotten older and I've acquired the taste of those chilies, I can get through three or four bottles of Tabasco in a year. And the news, it strikes me, is a little bit like that. Three or four years ago, a week of news flow like we've had over the last seven days would have had people reaching for the telephones, calling each other. The newspapers would have been full of it. But now we're just taking it taking it in our stride. That's actually not a terrible analogy, I have to say. Well, I... <laughs> is that fame praise? Really <laughs> Damnation sure. by fame praise, given the, given the appalling, I mean, the appalling measure of literacy that we have from you last week. But what I'm saying is that yeah. <clears throat> it is a week where anything... Anything that's happened or everything that's happened has been anything but normal. Yeah. But we seem to have become so conditioned with the abnormal that now we're looking at this sort of news flow and just thinking, meh. Yeah, amazing. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the, a week when, you know, you've got the, you know, the impeachment of each sitting US president sort of gaining traction. You've got, what is it, third election in four and a bit years yes, in announced UK, yeah. in the UK. Uh, I think, you know, if you had looked back on this from your, you know, earlier Chile life, you'd have thought this was a very hot week indeed. As if that wasn't enough, well, yeah. we've had, we're going to talk about overpopulation as well, because uh, yeah. that's an important yeah. topic. So, We've talked about uh, this now confirmed December election in the last couple of podcasts. Is there anything more we can usefully say this week? Well, I don't know about usefully, Toby, but I, I would make uh, or at least reiterate four short, sharp points, um, unusually for myself. But uh, the first one is, you know, and this is one we've reiterated a lot. Sophie has to, you have to. Uh, and that is that calling elections is not an area where we see ourselves or indeed anyone else um, having a particular edge. Point two uh, statistically speaking, this is now proven to be one of the most unpredictable electorates of modern times. Party cleavages seem to have faded in favour of the kind of Brexit Remain grouping. Now, this should serve only to reinforce our humility uh, with regards to our ability to uh, to predict the outcome. Point three, nonetheless, there are now many scenarios, in our opinion, that the UK... Uh, Bumps along as it is, UK economy bumps along as it is, or even improves a little versus deteriorates markedly. Uh, And the final point is that a big part of that former calculation on the UK economy derives from the suspicion that the chances of a exiting without a deal have shrunk materially. Um, albeit not uh, not disappeared altogether. Those are the points that I'd roughly still make, and I think you know that they shouldn't be too new to anyone. Okay, so now you mentioned the inability to reliably call the election, which makes perfect sense. We've talked together about the shortcomings of polls and the fact that they are subject to uh, manipulation or misinterpretation or. Uh, 
Yeah, all sorts of shenanigans. All sorts of shenanigans, yeah. yeah. So should we ignore them all together? No, but I think, you know, just bear in mind um, exactly what you said, that there's different survey techniques, sample sizes, methodologies, and these can produce very different um, results. And be aware also, um, as I think Sophie pointed out last week, that translating votes into seats in our particular political system is fraught with peril. So, well, if you can't really predict what's going to happen in the election, can you provide any reassurance on the outcomes, given that we're looking at potentially sharply very different governments? Yeah, potentially. But I think, you know, we've made this point uh, before, but but some commentators can perhaps be guilty uh, of using kind of economic history to support a political leaning. And, and what I mean by this, you know, so... For instance, and that may exaggerate um, the ability of an individual sort of political authority or political ideology to actually totally change the course of the economy. I'll go. I'll explain a little bit what I mean. So, you know, often people point to the troubles, the economic troubles of the 1970s for the UK, and they're often chalked up to Labour policies at the time, whereas the recovery in the 1980s, you know, fits cleanly into a kind of victory for Thatcherism and all that, you know, all, all that it came, contained with it. Now, now, there may be something in this, but, you know, a closer inspection reveals a much more complicated picture. The productivity problem the UK suffered in the post-war period up to 1970 probably had less to do with the reigning political ideology at the time and more to do with um, kind of long-standing institutional flaws within the UK structure. Now, some of this comes from a, a direct result of the necessary changes to the economy, the uh, the government had to make during the Second World War, you know, moving to a kind of command economy, uh, and they struggled to shift. And I guess the point here would be that don't overstate the ability of one political party or ideology to shift the trend in the economy one way or the other very easily. Quite a lot of our trend in the economy, uh, or trend in economic growth, it tends to be a bit more predestined than that, a sort of function of pre-existing anatomy of the economy, uh, to kind of misuse a bit of Freud, I guess. Okay, so the final thing on the election really is we've heard a lot in the newspaper about capital controls. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this was something that was, uh, this is from a bygone era as far as the UK is concerned and something that we read about uh, happening in emerging economies, not something that I ever imagined Mm -hmm. we'd be discussing back in the context of, of the UK system. Is it possible that the shutters could come down on our ability to transfer money overseas or indeed access unlimited foreign currency, which I would have just taken for granted. Yeah, I mean, look, never say never. But but this is really, uh, in our opinion, famous last words, really incredibly unlikely, uh, more unlikely than much scaremongering, scaremongering would indicate. The UK economy is really entirely different to the last time capital controls were imposed. Uh, and, and, and really the scale of the damage um, that it would cause, both political and economic in this context, uh, should be a sufficient deterrent to any party thinking about it. That's our current thinking on it. I reserve the right to, 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 to claim I never said this, but uh, but that, that, would, that would be, I think, the, the, the right way to think about it at the moment. Okay, enough about the UK. Now, I noticed looking over at your bank of desks that you and the team, there's been this sort of frenzied frisson of excitement over there, which can only mean the only reason that your team would ever get that excited is it means an exciting new data point is coming out. So uh, what have been the big economic data releases this week? And is there anything we should be paying attention to? Yes, tragically, it's been a very uh, busy week on that front, uh, I have to admit. Um, So, I mean, if I, rather than go through each data point individually. I think we'll just collectivise it and just say that um, 
the evidence of a downturn is still not there, in our opinion. Um, but it would be hard to say that we're sort of, you know, we're, we're, uh, the all clear is being outsounded. We're being sounded. We're not out of the woods yet. Um, but it does, um, the data we're seeing does um, um, uh, sort of suggest that there's a stabilization rather than another leg lower in economic activity or the pulse overall, the economic cyclical pulse, which we've talked about. Uh, and I think the main thing that we talk about with regards to going forward is that, and we've talked about this before, but the plunge in interest rates that has accompanied all this kind of gloom that we've seen this year, combined with the likely pressures of a, a US election campaign, should be some of the sort of factors that help the corporate sector to sort of find its feet again uh, in coming months. So we've seen that um, the lead indicator, the sort of, you know, our main lead indicator for the um, uh, the month the ISM manufacturing was literally out, you know, a couple of minutes ago, and that was stable. And what you did helpfully see was a bit of a pickup in new orders. Um, so there are sort of some little chinks of light might I say so we shall see okay and um, what how about interest rates we spoke a little bit about that last week are we likely to see interest rates picking up again um, in 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 the near future even in the UK well yeah I mean I think on this point we are still thinking that the risks of an imminent recession are being you know very overestimated by the bond market and even inflation isn't necessarily as dead and buried as many seem to say uh, you know so US core CPI consumer price inflation is at 2.4 percent um, and there may be a little bit more in the pipeline we shall see um, the UK is a bit more difficult to call um, but I guess if everything went um, you know if you managed to exit the uh, the EU with a deal uh, in January let's say and uh, you know the economy started to find its feet a little bit after that and some sort of investment comes back in then you you're probably in for a kind of long drawn out rate rising cycle but nothing too imminent I would have thought. Okay right final question and this one is left field I said we were going to talk about population growth but back on October the 31st and this is this is what prompted me to think about it back on uh, Halloween 2011 we had something called the day of 7 billion the day when the world's population reached that milestone unsurprisingly anyway we're now closer to 8 billion than 7 billion people and the fears are again that there are simply too many of us for this planet's precarious resources. Um, and if we carry on growing, then quite frankly, we're looking at a, a, an apocalypse. Mm. Hollywood's in on the act. We're getting scared with movies coming out about this. This isn't the first time that we've been worried about it. But what do you and the team make of it? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I mean, this isn't the first time. There is a very famous um, 18th century. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I almost can't do it. But there is. I thought we were going to make it all the way through a <laughs> podcast chance. without some no oblique chance. reference no to the se- and this, this is important. The 18th this century, back in 1700, <laughs> something <laughs> happened that nobody cares about. Well, they didn't Come have on. a mobile phone. Teach but us no, something. So, so there was an 18th century economist who most people will have actually heard of. Um, he was a country parson, and he was called Thomas Malthus. Um, and he wrote an oft-cited piece called "An Essay on the Principle of Population." He wrote this in 1798 for those interested I think Um, in it he said to your very point uh, so population uh, when unchecked increases at a geometric ratio Uh, subsistence increases only in the arithmetic rate rates Uh, so basically the population of the world would grow much faster than our ability to feed clothe and fuel it Um, and other later economists have made kind of a similar point however and there is a but um, importantly there is a but Um, and this uh, I think in my opinion, and in some other people's opinion, well, this underestimates kind of our, um, 
it underestimates us and, and, uh, and our innovative capacity. You know, population growth has actually coincided with markedly better living standards, less starvation, lower prices for some of the commodities many people thought were running out. Um, uh, uh, you know, so for instance, this is to give you a sort of tangible example. I think this is an interesting. Well, I'm example. thinking this is this seems to be some thesis that is supposed to justify the Impossible Burger. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's a. I'm getting to burgers in a second. Okay. Don't shoot me ahead. So yeah, no. So, th- th- so this is farming, actually. So think about it. So uh, thanks to the advance- advances in farming, food storage, transportation, everything, the world needs less than a, less than a third of the land it used to need uh, to produce a given amount of food. So another way of stating this is that between 1961 and 2009, the amount of food. Uh, the amount of land used to grow food increased by 12%. The amount of food that was produced from it increased by 300%. So actually, the the forecast that Malthus made back in the day was flawed because that was the classic economics uh, uh, issue where, well, ceteris paribus, holding all other things equal. But actually, innovation in farming, innovation in technologies has meant that even in something as prosaic as agriculture, we've become increasingly more efficient. So perversely, your argument seems to be the more of us there are, the better life gets. Well, I know it sounds bizarre, but it may not feel like it sometimes. But this is, and this is not to say that all is fine and we can rest on our laurels. The environmental challenges are just a figment of the, you know, imaginations of a part of a society. Far from it. Um, you know, we urge, you know, everyone to take these challenges extremely seriously. Um, however, it should give us some hope that by harnessing humankind's innate ingenuity and restlessness, none of the challenges are insurmountable. I think that's the that's the real thing that I would point out. Um, and I. I just personally, I don't think that a return to some imaginary pre-industrial idyll is the answer. More innovation is the answer. Okay, final question then. Talking about harnessing the world's restlessness, any predictions for the Rugby uh, World Cup final in Japan? No, of course not. But it should be a cracker, shouldn't it? As an aside, uh, just for those interest, uh, this may not uh, uh, float your boat, Toby, but it if anyone's interested in an example of how far the influence of sport can extend beyond the pitch, uh, look no further than uh, South South Africa's inspirational uh, captain, Sia Kalisa. It should be a gripping game. Fantastic. Well, everybody's looking forward to it. Will, thank you very much for joining me. And we look forward to catching up with you all again next week for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.